360Ed TV is brought to you by Rice Studios and Agility. Maria Spees, welcome to 360Ed TV. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. It's great to have you too. Uh, we've been kind of circling each other at uh, conferences over the last uh, year or so. We've never quite connected, so it's great to have some time with you. And I thank you for your uh, your generosity here. It's, uh, it's wonderful to have you. Maria, can you tell us a little bit about the area that you work in uh, within Navitas? Uh, you lead the learning and teaching service and you're the GM there. Yeah, so uh, I work at, I've been working at Navitas for, for, since 2009 now. And um, I have I, ha I wear two hats at Navitas. Firstly, I am the general manager for learning and teaching services, which is really um, the central business unit that works with all the colleges globally to to help them innovate in their uh, teaching, learning, student experience, and so on. So that's sort of innovation in the core. Um, we we look after learning technologies, uh, curriculum development, new products, etc. And then my other hat is um, as Head of Digital Learning Futures for Navitas Ventures, which is our venturing arm. And so that's the other end of the innovation spectrum where we're looking at new models and, and new innovations in the edtech space. I was at a, I was at a session today uh, at, uh, at RMIT and uh, Dr. Cathy Stone was speaking and she was going through some of the findings of her, of her recent report. And it just, uh, your comment there around student retention and the work that you're doing around supporting students through that life cycle uh, it was, was coming out in her research. But I think there's a, a particular uh, value and a particular focus that commercial relationships with uh, companies such as Navitas and online program managers uh, brings. Um, I was speaking to a, a Pro Vice Chancellor a little while ago, and he told me that he saw these sorts of relationships as catalytic. Um, mm. Universities change path because of these. What does your experience and your kind of insights tell you about the work that Navitas is doing in this space? Yeah, I think I think actually um, the sort of public-private partnerships between Navit uh, between universities and and, and private organisations have been going for a very long time. But it's only the last probably five years that the growth of OPMs or um, online uh, program managers, organisations who typically are very good at de designing, developing and delivering online product in education uh, and the, the, the sort of matching that with the emerging university need to really get their act together in terms of the online space. It's very difficult to do that in a big, uh, devolved organisation such as such as a university. So, bringing in a partner like an OPM um, has actually, like you said, has really been able to fast track some of those um, those um, you know university plans in developing online. And at the same time, uh, the universities actually are learning a lot about how this all works. Sometimes that's faster for a university than trying to build it and do it all themselves. It's a good point that you raise because really with the OPMs, it's a pretty simple equation. You find the right programs, you do a revenue share and all that infrastructure, that especially that upfront marketing, all those pieces that are so difficult for universities to quickly scale and be successful at are laid on for them. So in a sense, it's never money for jam, but there's certainly some value there with the right partner. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think the other thing is it helps universities to broaden a market sector. So typically mm. universities are based around an undergraduate um, an undergraduate student, um, but more and more the numbers of, of students at universities, postgrad students in particular, but at undergrad as well, but need that need a flexible, um, you know, flexible delivery. They can't come to campus now. This is not just postgrad, but that's a big, big market, and so um, you know, and those students are paying full fees um, typically, and so they want a good online yeah. experience, and uh, that that helps to grow a market for a university as well. No, it's it's true, um, which is a great segue uh, to the piece around uh, innovation that you, you spoke about a little bit earlier. Uh, back in May, you wrote a blog piece around reimagining education and you talked about innovation at the edge and you yep. pointed to the sector's need to respond to new models and you mentioned mm. the New Zealand uh, Government's Productivity Commission report into new tertiary models there. As I read it, I reflected on the recent issues uh, in Australia's vocational space. Mm. And we took a path that uh, looked towards more open funding in a marketplace and a regulator was set up uh, and was responsible for oversight and quality and encouraged new providers. Um, there's been some changes there uh, and certainly Sir, uh, Senator Birmingham has uh, been quite clear about the way in which uh, that open approach to funding and the marketplace has really closed down with providers disappearing. Um, what useful learnings do you think we could take uh, and apply to higher education? Thanks, Tony. Yeah, I guess um, the trend, you know, all around the world, there is a global trend. Governments are, are, you know, struggling to meet the costs of tertiary education, both vocational and higher education, and so are looking for ways to not only encourage continued education, of course, but um, are looking for ways to sort of fund education. And um, one of the one of the things that they are looking very seriously at, which they should really, is the outcomes of education. Mm. And so outcomes focused, um, we see that in the UK for sure, definitely in the US, very strong outcomes focused in the US, to the point where, though, um, the outcomes of education are more than getting a job. Getting a job is very important, obviously, and being productive for society. But, um, you know, so sometimes these incentives um, sort of conflict uh, with uh, some purposes of higher education in particular, and that's tough. Um, regulators of the future, even regulators of the current, but regulators of the future, we need regulators who um, who provide options and choice, who encourage innovation. But sometimes the nature of regulation in the education space is to um, is to limit options and to standardise in a way. And so mm. it's a bit of a double-edged sword for regulators, I think. You're, you're right. I, I think regulators have to remember, and they're, they're, they're very focused upon the fact that this is money that comes from the public purse. Mm. But unless we have some capacity to fail in a modest way that actually learns, that teaches us lessons that we can apply, uh, we're probably the poorer for it. I think that's a good segue again to another piece that you raised in your uh, blog around alternative credentials and the success of boot camps uh, and, and those sorts of uh, skills-based companies like General Assembly. Um, I think from the US example, it's about 10 grand for uh, a 12-week immersive face-to-face -face program. And if the numbers are to be believed, uh, you know, graduates of those sorts of programs are looking at 
a 90, 99% employment rate after 180 days. Now, you take that with a grain of salt, but the broad consensus is that these sorts of disruptions will affect higher education at some point. But I wonder if the real impact might be for students who would typically attend maybe a TAFE. Um, I'm just interested in your thoughts on, on those sorts of uh, innovations. Yeah. I think the boot camp model is a really interesting and one to, one to watch. And so boot camps um, uh, sort of arose out of a need for faster and more practical, like your, your, your reference to vocational, but more practical new the new sort of jobs that are coming out and so they are focused Dig digital on, trades if you like that's right digital digital trades. Trades. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they do say that the, the you know the coder is the new plumber um you know so um, <laughs> um so those sort of skills where people want to be skilled up quickly and get a job quickly because there's massive demand for these technical jobs there's jobs all over the place and they need more people and so there's a real market there and those boot camp models came up out of that need and now are broadening into not just coding but also digital design and ux and other sort of digital skills where that's mm. not typically offered at a university um you know maybe part of a longer sort of program but people need the, you know, everything's faster these days. People want to get a job fast. They want to upskill fast. They want to keep upskilling as time goes on. And so even vocational models traditionally don't service that um, and nor do uh, higher ed models. But the, the, boot camp, um, the boot camp model, a, a lot of boot camps now are guaranteeing jobs. I mean, that is significant. And even in the US a couple of years ago, um, you know, the politicians were talking about the funding of these types of um of, of boot camps because they were actually getting jobs for people. Um, the problem is, the question is whether this is scalable outside those those few digital, um, sort of that the digital area. You know, we, we need a broad-based education uh, model, not just, just in digital. So you, it's not necessarily that those models will translate across all disciplines. Maybe it is more niche and maybe it'll stay niche. Mm. But actually we've seen is lots and lots of uptake um, in boot camps. It's, it's 350 boot camps in the US alone, um, boot camp providers. Um, but what we're seeing is uh, that that model being very attractive to students and the market. And now universities, boot camp providers are partnering with universities to embed boot camp sort of education inside programs and so we're seeing lots and lots of alliances happening there and that's that's fantastic because what it's doing is um it's not saying either or it's saying and you know we could we can we can merge these models and make it better for for students and outcomes for students which is what it's all about it is and the more you you draw those large companies into the more opportunities you have for work integrated learning and challenge activities and all those sorts of things so i, I think you're right there's a there's a there's there's a double-sided benefit, really. Um, if we could just leave... I, Sorry, yeah, Maria. I was just going to say the other thing of, about the alliance between and partnerships between alternative, let's say, alternative providers and mm. traditional providers is that it does... It brings industry much, much closer to the student experience and to universities, which is fantastic because there's been a bit of bit of a divide between the education sector and you know the, the sort of employment sector but actually those those sort of edges need to be much much more blurred and 
boot camps or, you know, those types of providers, alternative models can actually be a bridge. Mm. I, I, look, I was across um, what TDA was doing when uh, when Mark was still uh, uh, chair there for a while, but uh, Martin Ridden, but I wouldn't know if a, a TAFE was actually thinking about this space in a in a really proactive way. Do you have any sense of what the TAFE space is, is doing? Yeah, you know what? I think um, certainly in Australia, the, the, the vocational framework has got such huge opportunity. It is based on competency, competencies, stackable mm. credentials. It's, it's an analogue version of what everyone's trying to do. That's just got a fantastic foundation. It's still, because it's a big... Um, sort of industry and, you know, it's set in, in sort of, you know, old public sector and so on. So it's it's got a lot of baggage, um, but it's got a fantastic base to it. I don't think, I don't know, but I don't think that the, the sort of public vocational sector is moving rapidly into alternative models of delivery, um, but certainly the the foundation upon which our vocational education sector sits, i.e., um, uh, you know, competency-based education is a wonderful, wonderful foundation. Uh, there's lots of opportunity there. I, I think you're right. Um, and politically, uh, I, I can't think of anyone who's, uh, who's elected who wouldn't be happy to sit in front of uh, a news conference that talked about the way in which... Uh, there was such a strong connection between completion, upskilling of a program, and then an employment piece as well. That's a great story. Yeah. yeah. Maria, I'm particularly interested in uh, the project landscape, uh, which is an innovation research initiative. It was your other hat, I think, that you discussed up front. And that's now reached a 2.0 phase, and it's a review of EdTechs globally. Can you tell mm -hmm. us a bit about uh, the project landscapes, and why has Navitas invested in this kind of endeavour? That's a great question, Tony. Um, we've 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 moved along. We're, we we ourselves are moving fairly fast. We're up to landscape three now. Um, we just launched that last week. <laughs> oh, ne never good with numbers, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's it's really literally just hot off the press. Um, oh, good. And so, yeah, project landscape. What we when Navitas decided that it too is a big company um, and it's been around for a quarter of a century and so we can see education tra uh, changing and we, we needed to do something about that too. So launching Navitas Ventures is, is one of our responses to that. And Navitas Ventures, um, you know, invests in, in ed tech and, and, and new models and so on, but we really wanted to understand the landscape essentially, what was happening out there in, in, the, in the world of ed tech, investment, new models, the future, etc. And that is a very, very complex uh, landscape. And so what we decided to do was partner with um, a, a sort of data visualisation company to help us find and investigate what was going on. And we decided to, we, we're an education company, so we decided to map the landscape along a learner's life cycle because that's what makes sense to us. Many other um, uh, sort of combinations of, of ed tech investment go is categorised in different ways, but for us it was the it was the new next generation learning life cycle, right from discovery and how students find education providers through to you know experiencing it and credentialing and then 
advancing to the next stage, which is often jobs. And so all our, um, we've mapped now 15,000 edtech startups uh, and about 50 million, sorry, 50 yeah, $50 billion worth of investment um, and mapped each of those and categorised them along this l learning journey. And it's it's been amazing to see where the activity is, where the new activity is coming, because that shows a little bit of trend around who's investing in what, what's hot in terms of ed tech. Um, and it's the disruptive potential of each of these areas. And so that helps us to understand the landscape. Our next version, we the, the landscape will be interactive for users so they can, anyone can really dive down and have a look. And so w because we're part of that edtech community as well, we want to be able to, all the, the startups that are in, for example, the credential space, um, to be able to find each other um, and yeah. to create a community themselves, not just in Australia or the US, or but, but globally. And so, um, you know, it, it'll be a, a resource for the, for, the, for the ecosystem. I think it's worthwhile pointing out to, uh, to our, um, our viewers as well. Uh, it is a resource. I actually used it in the office a, a couple of weeks ago. I printed off uh, uh, an, A3, an A3 size and made a booklet up almost like a colouring size book. But the heat map, you talked about the visualisation uh, company that you work with, the heat map uh, was particularly useful in helping um, some of my uh, team look at where the investment is coming from. So you're dead right. And it's funny that you actually mentioned that because that was exactly the experience I had. People were looking at it, looking for the, the trends, looking for the themes, but using that heat map uh, as a way to kind of anticipate where we should be looking. So it's a, it's a good point that you make, yeah. yeah. for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it goes across sort of K to 12, higher ed and also co sort of corporate learning. But, you know, because we, we work mainly in, in, in higher ed and partner with lots of universities, are they, you know, everyone's looking for um, to improve the student experience and student outcomes and so on. And a lot of our partners are talking about um, wanting to, uh, sort of invest in and, and and transform, use digital to transform much of their student experience as well. And in particular, mm. in that area that that ends the student experience and begins the student sort of job placement, it could be internships, it could be finding a job, it could be summer placement, it could be all that, you know, skills for work and so on. That's a very, very important area to universities and to students, obviously. Um, and so, We've been able to identify a whole range of startups that are actually trying to solve that problem. And it's fantastic to be able to join up where people have got, you know, problems to be solved and startups who are solving those problems um, because it sort of wins for everyone, really. It's been a fantastic project and we're going we're gonna to keep, you know, keep going. Uh, from version 4, we'll, I don't know, a few years we'll be up to version 10. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I hope so, because uh, it's, it's a worthwhile uh, endeavour, as I said. Uh, finally, uh, I, I guess a two-part question, Maria, if I could. Um, what does Navitas see uh, in its path over the next three to five years? Because it's a rapidly changing future. And mm. from your perspective, uh, where do you think we might place our smarter bets as a country in this space? Mm. Oh, look, I mean, one of the things for Australia in particular, um, Navitas is a global company, but speaking from, from the sort of Australian perspective, um, you know, 
one of the key things is that um, there there are you know a billion learners to our north, <laughs> and you know as as the sort of the middle the the, the middle class bulge they call it in in Asia is going to sort of is coming through and all those parents will want an education for their children. Um, there are um, just absolutely not enough university seats in the world to cope with that demand. And so there's massive demand coming, um, but it is really unlikely to be in the shape and form of models that we know. Um, so we, any education provider needs to start thinking about that future demand, thinking about alternative models that will cope with that scale. Um, and technology has got to be a part of that solution. And, um, you know, I think that we are working, Navitas is working with its partners all around the world to think about what's, you know, what is the likely demand uh, in, for higher education in 2030? Um, and how do we prepare ourselves for that? I think um, it, it, universities on their own would find it very difficult to service that demand um, and private providers perhaps on their own, but a combination of technology, um, you know, the universities and the private sort of aspect, I think together, uh, you know, there could be fantastic things happening. But ultimately, really what we want to do is make sure that um, education can be accessed by all those people. It's a, I think those two pieces that you've, you've offered there, first the scale uh, and the number of, of potential learners to our north is exactly correct. Uh, and you, you spoke about that partnership again between private and public, and I think that is something that can't be underestimated. You look at the success of Udacity and AT&T and Georgia Tech coming online with programs. Um, I, I think really the value proposition potentially is having that, that university or that brand, educational brand, a st such a strong component of that private partnership offering. Uh, that brings that, but you've also then got the, the, the commercial savvy, the scalability potential that comes from uh, companies such as Navitas able to, able to help universities scale quickly and take advantage of those new opportunities. That's right. I think, I think like many, many other industries, um, with such a huge sort of consumer demand coming, you know, people, people will, will want a different experience. They'll, they'll want to study what they want to study, when they want to study and how they want to study. And so, um, you know, providers, it's been a sort of provider-led, supply-led industry for very a, a very long time. But I, I do see that changing. Um, maybe not at, at at some parts of the industry, but certainly for the for the mass, it's I can see that changing, like it has in many other industries. Yeah, the, the commoditization of knowledge, commoditization of credentials, in a sense, and the warrants that go with them from those providers. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Maria, it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, Thank you been, for yeah. all of your inputs. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah.